allow automation of creation of tasks. And then, of course, just all the decisions being automated as much as possible and allowing then the humans to only deal with those escalations. And with a tighter integration with you know, uh, a business process platform and a BRMS platform, the rules can then trigger those tasks automatically, bind the data correctly, give you the right information, and with the right context. And that way the decisions can then do that. Hello and welcome to season two of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper-automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. Hello, everyone. How are you? I just had the pleasure of sitting down with one of the world's leading decision automation experts, Salient's own DJ Desjardins. This interview covers DJ's background and how he got into the business rules space. We cover what is rule automation. We talk about industries and use cases that it favors and is well suited for. For the business owners, we talked about who and what type of role within a company is well suited to bring in rule automation, as well as how rule automation fits into the agenda of most companies' strategy decks. And for the technical audience, we talked about implementation methodology. And finally, we talked about what the future of rural automation looks like. I really enjoyed this interview and hope you all do too. So why don't we jump right in? Tell us about yourself and how you got into this space and how you became one of you know the leading minds in this space. Talk us, uh, talk us through how you, how you became who you are. Well, it, it pretty much starts. I, I ended up, uh, or I, I ended up starting with a company called Versata. That was my first taste of rules. Although it's not the same as business rules that we, we talk about today, mm-hmm. but, uh, I started with them pretty much January of 2000. So I've been working in the rules space, starting with Versata since, uh, well, I guess about 23 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Versata isn't like what BRMS is today. They were focused more around generating UIs, generating interfaces to support databases in an automated rules-based kind of way. So, uh, but from there, I just kind of moved through different technologies. I worked on uh, with Blaze, uh, implemented some Blaze on mainframe, business rules on mainframe solutions, one of the few that they had built. Uh, then ended up going to uh, iLog, and at iLog uh, was in technical pre-sales there. Uh, worked there for many years until we got pulled into IBM. So IBM then acquired us. I continued in pre-sales there, then moved into product management. I didn't start on rules, did a slight deviation over onto the uh, uh, BPM, the business process side of the house focused primarily again on the mainframe, trying to put a new platform on the mainframe. Uh, they, you know, after years of research, they moved forward and decided not to go that route. And then I got back on to doing product management with uh, the iLog product, which turned into something else, uh, the ODM platform eventually. And uh, then moved out into the partner world after a while. So I've been pretty much exclusively working with rules technology, uh, business rules management systems for about 23 years now. Was it happenstance that you started at that 
that company uh, that did database visualization with rules? Was it happenstance? Did you stumble into rules there, was, or was I was it, looking? Were you drawn I to stumbled. It? I stumbled into rules. I was looking to get out of, I was actually a uh, uh, general services manager for a uh, large services company. I can't even remember the name of it, but I was kind of an executive doing executive things and was bored out of my mind. Uh, pretty much felt I got promoted to my level of incompetence and wanted to get back to actually getting hands on with things. So mm -hmm. uh, I left there and, and went into technical pre-sales with Versada loved the concept, loved the rules feel of it, and just stayed in that niche. Uh, although I got closer and closer to business rules management, more complex uh, algorithms and things that Versada wasn't using at the time, uh, but just loved the technology, did not want to leave. So as I moved through different companies and different uh, products, I stayed in the space on purpose. Mm -hmm. So kind of stumbled into it, fell in love with it, Oh yeah. Moved into executive leadership, didn't like it, got your hands dirty again, yep. loved it, stayed there. Uh, you're kind of in a hybrid role now as a practice lead, your salience ODM practice lead. Um, mm -hmm. You've kind of got one foot on leadership and one foot keeping your hands dirty as a, as a consultant doing this on a daily basis. Yeah, um, I kind of have dual title so i kind of stick with my uh when i can my principal consulting title that way i get to play architect i get to do some development i get to spend time in the trenches building things which is what mm -hmm. i really enjoy doing um so a couple questions for you i am curious in your 20 let's call it 25 years of experience doing this does this, does business rules management systems, does BMS have, or we can call it decision automation. Does decision automation have a favorite industry? Does it have a favorite use case or it does. does it? Yeah. Tell me about that. It does. I would say some of the early adopters and still one of the heaviest users of uh, BRMS's business rules management is in insurance claims type management, that big time usage there, uh, yeah. then fraud in the financial areas. Okay. Uh, so those are, those are like primo areas to look at. And why is you, that? Uh, mostly we're looking to do straight through processing, right? We're looking to take what a human would be doing for like uh, claims adjudication or evaluations for things like fraud, automating it. It, it speeds it up as well, but what it does is it takes the decision logic that a human was doing that was processing on claims and things of that nature manually, automating as much as possible things that could be standardized, and then increasing the straight through processing percentages, thereby reducing costs and improving uh, quality and consistency. Then humans, you know, the, the actual adjudicators and the uh, you know, claims technicians, uh, they would then deal with more of the exception handling, the more complex things that really needed a human to evaluate and to, to add something more subjective. How does what you just described fit into trends that you're seeing in the business landscape today? So time of recording, we're in early April of 2023. 
what are companies working on at the, you know, strategic investment project priority level? And how does what you described fit into that? Kind of the same thing. They're looking to automate and, and make those decisions consistent. Something to keep in mind, the business rules management systems, ultimately their sole purpose in life is to make a decision. You ask it a question, it gives you an answer. And it gives it to you on a transactional basis, right? I have this situation, I have this data, I have this, you know, claims, I have these loan applications, I've got all of this information, but I have questions I have to answer. Like, what's the risk score? Should I do this or not? What should I do next? And mm. those are the kind of decisions that are being made. They improve, they still got the straight through processing approach where we want to we wanna process it electronically as much as possible. But what we're really looking for is consistency and accuracy on top of that. Um, you can get that straight through processing by hand coding, but then you're not getting the benefits of a BRMS, you know, the quick changes and humans being able to change the logic, that kind of thing. So what the BRMS is still bringing to the table is that ability to, uh, even if you don't have your subject matter experts changing the rules, you can change them quicker, you can collaborate with them a lot easier, and then you can still get those changes pushed out faster. Okay, so for the unindoctrinated mm -hmm. decision automation folks out there, you're probably using some level, or your company's probably using some level of decision automation, but at the hard-coded level. What happens when those rules change, when those policy change? What happens when you want to increase the complexity or sophistication of those hard-coded rules? How do you do that? How long does it take? Who does it? How mm -hmm. long does the ticket sit there in the you know support request queue before a developer goes in, finds the rules, changes them, tests them, et cetera? So you're, you're probably already automating your business rules, but just unless you've adopted a, a decision automation purpose-built tool, um, the ability to change those rules is probably not there, at least not, not at speed of business. Correct. And, and part of that is because oftentimes the rules are not encapsulated or grouped together as a unit. They're scattered throughout the business process. They're scattered without the, the client server application, the web application, the database, you know, stored procedures. All the rules are kind of spread out uh, wherever somebody was able to put them. They're not encapsulated into a group that can be tested as a unit, validated as a unit, and managed as a unit. And that's part of what BRMS does. Aside from it making it business rules, it forces that encapsulation so that you have a unit of logic to work on that is both reusable, shareable, and you know, quantifiable in that nature. Another aspect, which I forgot to mention earlier, is regulatory. In yeah. business rules, right, it's English-like syntax. It's a lot easier to tell, am I meeting my obligation to the agencies, the government, the the organization. Am I meeting those requirements? Yeah. Plus those change pretty often and it's a lot easier to be able to implement those in a non-code kind of way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for the business listeners out there who have not been indoctrinated in decision automation, BRMS, mm -hmm. it 
it, it's kind of a no-brainer to get started um, codifying your business rules in an easy-to-manage platform. Not oh, yeah. to mention the regulatory, the, the ease of complying and proving you're complying with regulation. How about for the indoctrinated, DJ? For the folks who are out there, they are discovering decision automation platforms. They're looking into the market actively. Mm -hmm. They have technological acumen. Maybe they want to be the rule author. Maybe they want to be the rule developer. How do you go about infusing these platforms into applications or call it business processes? It's, act it's actually not as complicated as a lot of people seem to think. If you remember that all a BRMS does is answers a question, and questions are answered throughout any solution. It's in essence anywhere you see an if condition, right? You have a condition, then you have an action, right? Any rules that have an if and a then. If this is true, then do something. The goal, though, is to look at a higher level and start to identify what are the decision points. At what point within a solution are you making a decision? And what is that decision? Are you deciding a risk score? Are you calculating something? Are you, are you evaluating something and coming back with an answer? So what you're looking to do is, at a high level, without digging into your existing code, identify decision points. Once you have those decision points identified, you then categorize them or group them or evaluate them and look which of these decision points fit this litmus test that I have uh, that are good candidates for actually being made into a decision service, something that can be automated using rules. And then you identify those and then you pick which ones you're going to do first and just start hammering them through. My preferred choice is always to do the hardest one first, uh, but most mm. organizations like to do the, the easiest ones first. I feel if you do the hard ones first, all the easy ones just kind of fall into place behind it. Yeah. I think my favorite, my preferred approach would be do an easy one really quickly as a really quick proof point, just to make sure that this stuff works, mm -hmm. trust the automation type of, type of pilot. And then as my next one, solve the hardest, hairiest, stickiest, riskiest one to then be able to answer the, well, since we've done this one, surely everything else is going to be easier because be we've just done the hardest, riskiest one. See, I already know it's going to work. So yep, that's why I want to hit the hard one right away yep. and get, get the hard stuff out of the way, put in your frameworks, put in the infrastructure, and then good to go. But I understand why most organizations like to start with a simpler one to cut their teeth on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So talk about people for a minute. What mm -hmm. does a team or squad who um, is doing decision automation look like? Maybe take it as a, you know, the skinniest, lightest weight team or squad up to the, you know, opposite end of the spectrum. Think about your most sophisticated clients okay. with the highest level of adoption. How diverse are those teams? How large are they? How small are they? Well, there's there's minimum, there's certain roles that need to exist on the project or within the organization or within the the delivery team, right? And in a small organization or a smaller service, you can have you know one person playing many roles or all of the roles, right? Uh, 
but minimally you need to have an ODM developer type of role. You have to have a rule author type of role, could be the same person, right? You have to have a, an architect and, and some sort of uh, testing, right? So again, they can be one person or they could be scattered across. But ultimately what you're looking to do is to have your developer work with the subject matter experts to understand what question is being asked. And then you figure out what data you need to have come in, what data do you have to have come out. Then the ODM developer will build what I call an operational framework. It's all the artifacts necessary to implement the service without the rules. So it's all the plumbing, all the technical aspects of it that a developer type of individual needs to have the skill sets for to build those operational frameworks. Then you start to build the rules on top of that. And as you evolve the rules and you get additional requirements, it may require an evolution of the framework, of the operational framework. But eventually the operational framework should be such that Rule authoring, again, whether it be a developer or a subject matter expert or a, a dedicated rule author, uh, you know, as a group at an organization, they will then manage the rules. And that's why I like to look at it as a three-tier kind of governance. The tier, the tier one is the real simple stuff. Tier two is like the normal daily stuff. But that lower level tier three is more along the lines of I need a developer. The goal is to have an operational framework such that the rule authors only need to do their work. They're just going to write rules. They're going to test rules. They're going to modify rules. They don't need to change the operational framework. That's where you're really getting that benefit when people talk about being able to uh, you know, cut IT out of the picture, right? You can't fully cut them out of the picture, but what you do is you have them focus on hard things, and then you can have rule authors manage all of the day-to-day -day change activities without requiring heavy code, heavy regression testing on the operational side. So from as a, you, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I cut you off. I'll let you finish that. Well, thought. I was just going to say from an organizational, large organizational perspective, like I said, you could have the small individuals, but I've got, I've worked with organizations where we've had 30, 40 rule authors in different time zones working wow. on rules around the clock. Oh, wow. uh, their developers just maintain the infrastructure uh, and the frameworks. But once those were stable, it was it was literally they were doing rule deployments daily because of the organization and the, the volatility of the logic. But they were doing rule author changes. So they would write mm -hmm. rules, they would test rules, they would deploy rules. There was no Java code requirements, no object change requirements, vocabulary requirement changes, none of the technical things because they had a stable operational framework. You okay. evolve into that. You yep. don't start with that, but you can get really close early on. It sounds like the meat of the squad is in that rule author role. Yes. You can have one or 40 or more rule authors that kind of full circles why this tool came into existence is to give people, to give knowledge workers, let's call them, the ability to grow the sophistication of the rules uh, without submitting a ticket and waiting six months for IT to go do it. So it makes sense that the kind of meat of the squad is that rule author. Yep. What 
how would you describe a good candidate for that rule author? Is it the person who wakes up one day and, and thinks to themselves, why am I waiting six months for IT to change this, this business rule? We need to comply with this regulation. We need to go beyond, you know, reviewing, approving, or denying this insurance claim. We need to, to go beyond the, you know, three checkpoint lists that, you know, it's as sophisticated as we can get. We need to grow the, com we need to get more granular here. We, we need to, to, to answer these questions, to, to decide on these, these rules more sophisticated. We need some automation. Is it that biz line of business, let's call it person who makes for a good rule author? Or the line of business or, or business analysts. And that was another role I really didn't okay. dig into enough. So let me, let me circle back a little bit. So there's a, what I like to call it, it's a unique business analyst role. They're business pro, a business policy analyst. Okay. Right? And they understand the business policies that go into the decisions and then sometimes they take it all the way to the rules, right? So if you want to look at it, the ideal person to become a rule author would be somebody who's at that level of the business policy analyst. They understand the business. They understand the technology. And if we're just doing rule authoring, that's something they can do very easily. The next level up, because that's a technical role, sort of, but they have a good business understanding and they're technical enough to understand that they're writing rules and they get implemented. The next level up would be those subject matter experts. I also like to look at the subject matter experts that are willing to take the responsibility of doing, right? Not just being the, they understand it, they'll use the system, but they're willing to work on the logic to allow the system to do what needs to be done. So they are the kind of person that's like, I need this change and I'm, I'm waiting six months, right? But if they had a BRMS, they can get it done in, in, in six hours, six days, right? And as long as they're willing to do the work themselves, they can get it done faster, right? Because they're a subject matter expert. They don't have to go explain it to somebody else to do it. So it is kind of a cross. They need to have some level of technical expertise in that they're not afraid of computers. They're comfortable writing rules, testing rules, ultimately taking responsibility for writing the rules, managing them and testing them, that's kind of key. They're willing to take that responsibility and to ensure that it works correctly. That's great. It reminds me of a quote I heard the other day. Let me try it out on you and get your reaction. Um, what was it? Process if we're thinking about the hyper automation toolkit, right? Mm -hmm. The different capabilities. So called BPM is about digitization. Whereas rule automate rules is about automation. So I'll, I'll clean that up. Process is digitization. Yeah. Rules is automation. Yes, I would agree with that. You agree with I that? would agree with that because I'm, 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 I'm biased towards my, my technology sure. expertise, right? Uh, but business process is managing those longer term things, but ODM is actually automating those decisions, true automation, because you don't need a human interaction. Once it's built and it's done, it's just working behind the scenes and you're yeah. managing that logic that gets implemented. I agree with that. I thought you'd like that. Uh, 
Well, as we um, as we wrap up here, DJ, I've really enjoyed just kind of painting a backdrop of what is business rules management. Uh, where does business rules management find a natural home? It's with the insurance and finance crew um, and industries. What do the teams look like? How do you implement it more from a technology standpoint? Uh, I'm curious, as you think about 2023, 2024, the future, as you think about the future, what does, uh, what does that look like? And how does, uh, how does rural automation fit into it? More, more holistic implementations. Okay, right now, a, a lot of business process projects and implementation is business process. I, I would say 90% of the business rules applications and solutions I've worked on had nothing to do with business process. There was no business process solution uh, automating behind the scenes. They were literally being called by mainframes or web applications or backend systems or whatever. Those decisions are called by anything, right? But what I'm seeing and what I've been hoping we would get to as an industry is more holistic solutions where we have those business processes managing the long-term activities. We have automation within that in determining what tasks can be done in an automated way, what tasks need to be managed by a human, ensuring that the data gets to the human at the right time, in the right place, in the right order. But then in addition to that, automating those decisions allowing for decisions to decide what should we do in the process? What's the next process? Allow automation of creation of tasks. And then of course, just all the decisions being automated as much as possible and allowing then the humans to only deal with those escalations. And with a tighter integration with you know, uh, a business process platform and a BRMS platform, the rules can then trigger those tasks automatically, bind the data correctly, give you the right information and with the right context. And that way the decisions can then do that. And then on top of that is more of an ability to then integrate with new systems, old systems, backend data. Mm. Um, and we get into a whole thing of event processing and, and, and transactions over time with, with managing events coming in. So I've always, I've always pictured the whole solution as something that covers not a, a technology platform or portfolio, but a, a holistic look at what you're trying to solve. Every solution has a process involved. Every solution has a decision involved. Every solution has contextual data. Every, every solution has uh, events, actions, activities. There is absolutely no reason why solutions can't be built around holistically managing those problems those requirements as a holistic solution. And that's what I've always envisioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is the future. Not only of rural automation, not only of digital business automation, not only of digital transformation, uh, but I believe that what you just described is the future of how work gets done. It's just, just the future of work. There's no denying, I mean, chat GPT is out there. There's no denying that machine and man are working closer now than ever. Yep. But does your company's technology landscape reflect that? Does your company's 
technology landscape allow for that? And if, if not, if so, if somewhere in the middle, then rule automation is a great place to start. As, as you mentioned, it's, it is a pure form of automation because decisions yep. are actually being made without a human. Uh, I, yeah. I think just to throw in this last little bit from that, I think in my opinion, again, being biased, right? That of all of those technologies and of all of those pieces, decisions are the ones that can stand alone and start. You start with a decision. It doesn't matter what solution is consuming it. But if you have other solutions you're putting into place like business process or other kinds of platforms, they still need decisions without having a BRMS or a decision engine of some sort, they're hard coding it, right? Yeah. Now you have to move it out again. But if you identify those decision points, you, you select your decision services that you're gonna build, you can build those decision services and consume it within the old applications and then start to build off of that. Decisions are the root of everything. Short of, bit, short of data, right? I'll give data its place. But beyond data, it's the decisions that are really the, the, the foundation of any solution. Because even if you're hard coding, you're still making decisions. Decisions are there. It's whether you're yeah. going to manage those decisions and then build automation on top of it, build uh, orchestration on top of it, et cetera. Again, yeah. my opinion, I might be a little biased. <laughs> Just a little. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about some common objections to implementing rule automation. Uh, one that comes up is, you know, trusting the automation. We get, I get trusting, but I'll, I'll give you the biggest one that I get, and I often get this, and it's, it's the most fun one to deal with. Our rules, our concepts are too complicated for a BRMS. Oh, I bet you love that one. I love that because that, that that's that's <laughs> where they start, and that kind of falls in again to the trust, right? They believe yeah. that their stuff is too complicated. The way they do work is too complicated that no one can take that information, those decisions, and be able to put that into a system. It's too complicated for them, mm -hmm. and 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 the reason they think it's too complicated is because then they don't really know what it's doing. Yeah. I mean, it's complicated <laughs> to them. Fair enough. It is complicated, but it's not complicated from the technology perspective. It's complicated from the human perspective. Yeah. You have to understand it. That's why there's processes and methodologies to extract it, to pull that out, to, to encapsulate it into workable chunks. But those, that's usually the biggest uh, resistance I get is they, even if they don't state that they think it's too complicated, they, they believe it's too complicated to be able to take what it's doing today and to move it. Because a lot of times they, they, it's a black box. They don't even know what it's doing in there. It's old code. It's procedurally spread out. They're not comfortable that they understand what decisions are being made. So how do you, as a consultant or the software as a, you know, as a technology, mm -hmm. find ex and extract the rules. I can see that, you know, making a ton of sense. A business mm -hmm. leader says, yeah, no, it, it, it's just too complicated. Our rules are too sophisticated. Maybe what they're really saying is 
our rules, I don't know what they are exactly or where they are mm -hmm. or, or how to tell you what they are so that you can then automate them. How do you help folks that find themselves in that situation identify those rules, extract those rules, uncover or discover those rules so that you can then automate them? It, it comes back to getting them to understand that we're not pulling out business rules. We're pulling out decisions. So you wow. work on a decision by decision basis. Find a decision a simple one or a complicated one, find a decision that's being made and replicate that decision externally. You can do that by looking at old code, looking in manuals, asking the people that do the work, right? But how do you make that decision? Automate that decision, then find where in the process, the old process, the new process, the application, you, you'll call that decision. You need the answer to that decision. It is it is a natural tendency for organizations, people to want to, you know, how do I pull out all the logic and convert it into using it here? I've already written it once conceptually, right? We already have it. How do I automatically take what's there today and move it into a BRMS? And, it sounds and, like that's and not the correct approach. It is not the correct way. And I usually spend a lot of time upfront explaining there are techniques and tools and organizations out there to do it, but the short answer is, you have, an, you have a question you want to answer, so you're not answering it the way you wanted to. That's why you're going ahead and going to a new platform. So yeah. as you're extracting it, you start to implement it the way you want. Get the value right away. Plus, even if you could convert it, you're taking something that's built to work one way, converting it to work another way, and then ultimately what's happening is you're not getting the benefit. I can see that. Yeah, kind of like the old uh, Bill Gates quote where automating an inefficient process just increases the inefficiency. Uh, lifting yep. and shifting your hard-coded rules just automates how you're just in, just automates how you're doing it today. Doesn't necessarily answer your questions or decide what needs to be decided for your business most effectively. Correct. So, so that's really, that's the decision that we're looking to do is, again, you pull out the decision, you start to build it from that perspective. You don't worry about where the rules are, what the rules are doing today. You focus on the decision. Mm -hmm. uh, last question, DJ. What, um, well, maybe the last question. We'll see where this leads us. <laughs> what did I, what did I not ask? What are maybe some missing spaces on the terrain of rule automation? That we might not have uh, that we might not have discussed today. The key to understand is not everything is going to be a good fit for business rules, right? So decisions mm. are decisions. Some decisions are better left in in other platforms in the orchestration layer, like BAW or other applications. Some decisions are best laid. And, and decided at the database level and stored procedures. Um, and then most decisions uh, are viable decisions to be used within a BRMS. But the key is to identify which are which. You'll often find that the hard ones, ones you don't want to necessarily do right away, are the ones that are better fits, and some of the simpler ones that don't fit what I call the litmus test, right? 
you know, volatility. If is, is it volatile? Is it a regulatory? You know, do you need subject matter experts? That kind of stuff um, may not be good fits. But if you've already built the hard stuff, you can add those other ones just as easily. But they may not be, from a technology perspective, a good fit. So it's really important to identify all those decision points, pick which ones are good for your BRMS, and focus on the on the best ones for that. So I guess it wasn't so much a question, but it was a concept that I wanted to get out. Yeah, let's put that on a billboard for uh, <laughs> for everyone out there approaching real automation. This stuff fits really nicely into digital business automation, digital transformation, mm -hmm. answering the question that's at every board level now, every every department head level, every team level is efficiency, simplification, automation, uh, talking about burnout, employee burnout, true decision automation. Does not answering questions and, and making decisions exhaust you as a human Right. Isn't that one of the most mm -hmm. cognitively taxing things that 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 a knowledge worker can do is make decisions? Um, yeah. So address your employee burnout with rule automation. Right. Drive operational excellence and efficiency with rule automation. And um, I feel like we've just started to scratch the surface here, DJ. And um, I thank you for your time. Let's do this again sometime. <laughs> best of luck with your uh, client engagements fighting the good fight of implementing rural automation and uh, as always thank you for your your expertise well thank you i've enjoyed it thanks for listening to another episode of bots and thoughts the hyper automation podcast sponsored by salient process be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this don't forget to connect and interact with us. You can find us on Bots and Thoughts' own LinkedIn page. And we're constantly running feedback surveys and ask that if you've made it this far in the episode, show us some love by responding to a survey and following us on LinkedIn. Finally, if you or someone you know would like to be a special guest on the show, we have a nomination form also down in the description for you to fill out. And with that, see you next episode and happy automating.